Get all the giggles out. One more time. Browning. <laughs> Uh, welcome to the Criterion Quest, a continuing podcast series looking at important films and contemporary classics. My name is Chris and I'm joined, as always, by my wonderful co-host Lee. Hello. And holy shit, we're in person. I know! What the fuck? I can see you! <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> and I'm not, pi- I'm not pixelated, <laughs> and we, we didn't have to do claps for audio syncs and yeah. everything, yeah. It's been a fucking while. I know. It is, and your internet man was shit out. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 a struggle sometimes here, but uh, yeah, that's sort of um. Obviously, we we delayed this episode by a week just so we could actually, Do you know, person. yeah, we we were sick of the Zoom recordings. So, um, for those of you that aren't patrons, hopefully you enjoyed the little tease of uh. The audio commentaries that we're doing over there. Yeah, which one did we tease again? Uh, we put up our dirty rotten scoundrels. Oh, classic. Yes. But, uh, but yeah, how are you going? Uh, we're a couple of days into not lockdown again. How are yeah, you feeling? Yeah, uh, I've just been, like, out. Yeah. Out and about. Yeah. But you've been doing um, some crazy amount of uh, horror watching, I uh, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or attempting to. I, I'm, like, one or two days behind at this point, so I'm going to kind of play, probably play catch-up today just to kind of burn through a couple. i got to watch a robot movie. Um... I think I'll watch Chopping Mall. That's a great one. So not Shopping Mall. <laughs> chopping Mall. <laughs> it's about security robots in a shopping mall that go haywire and they're like, lasers, <laughs> kill. <laughs> it's great. It's great. Um, but yeah, like I did a zombie movie the other day. I uh, rewatched uh, Return of the Living Dead, which is absolute punk rock classic. Love it. Um, yeah, I don't know. I re- recently watched uh, Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. I'd never seen it. I'd be, always been wanting to for, for years. Um, it's the first one by John McNaughton, who um, went on to do stuff like Mad Dog and Glory and Wild Things, weirdly. <laughs> but uh, it's like, yeah, it's always was hard to find here in Australia because it was banned for like 15 years or something. And then, movies are banned. Yeah, and then, I mean, I get it. It's like this dirty, gray little 16mm film following like a serial killer. So it's kind of similar to like Man Bites Dog, which like Criterion listeners all know about and interesting little one mm. uh what about you have you seen anything good i might i don't think i've been watching much new stuff but i revisited some ariasta recently and um i've been like just balls deep into midsummer and i've done heaps of research on midsummer i just love it i think it's i think i gave it a bad rap when i first watched it because i was like heh but then the more you watch it, the more you pick out little bits and pieces, and I'm just loving it. It's I love that it's one that you keep going back to as well, considering it's you know nearly three hours long, and it's you know not Every not exactly minute. a pleasant no. film. So, but I would like say it's kind of, I've been watching a lot of horror as well. Maybe mm. not as much as you. Yeah, <laughs> but nobody has. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, and I, I I love I think I'm yeah rediscovering my love of horror at the moment. It's great. It's it's super super lovely. Um, <laughs> Super it, it really is. It's such a fun, like, little cathartic release and things, it is, and isn't it? it's great. Yes. Um, but yeah, so now I'm looking forward to our next couple of commentaries then, since we've decided, like, fuck it, we're going to keep doing the spooky stuff for yes. the kind of the season. So yeah, it's yeah. going to be fun. Uh, but should we dive into this week's movie? Yep. Uh, we have Anthony Asquith's 1951 film, The Browning Version. <laughs> Again with the giggles. <laughs> Like the whole way through, is so I'm like, what's it called again? The Browning what? Oh yeah, I- you kept forgetting the name of the film. <laughs> oh my god, it's so good. It's, uh, I forget like the sec. I've already started laughing by mm. the time you finish saying Browning. Uh, Michael Redgrave gives the performance of his career in Anthony Asquith's adaptation of Terence Rattigan's unforgettable play. 
Redgrave portrays Andrew Crocker Harris, an embittered middle-aged schoolmaster who begins to feel that his life has been a failure. Diminished by poor health, a crumbling marriage, and the derision of his pupils, the once brilliant scholar is compelled to re-examine his life when a young student offers an unexpected gesture of kindness. A heartbreaking story of remorse and atonement, the Browning version, is a... Is a classic of British realism. Realism? Yeah. Mm. I'm going to say, I just have to say straight off the bat, I love this film. Yes, as did I. I had never seen it and uh, thoroughly enjoyed. Yeah. Yeah. It was a pleasure to watch. Especially because, I mean, the last few have been not bad, but they've just been tough. Like, it's, it's sort of, you know, in particular, like, Unfaithfully Yours, it had its moments of flourishes and things, but it just, you know, dragged that little bit and things. Um, yeah. Whereas, and Flowers of St. Francis was just tough. <laughs> so, yeah. it was nice to kind of, just kind of soak in something that was short, sweet, to the point. Yeah, what is it? 90 minutes. 90 minutes on the nose, so, yeah. It's good. I, um, I did find the beginning... A bit of a strain, but then as the movie went on, I appreciated that because yeah. we got to live in the world of Crocker and his students and his classroom and really what it felt like. Yeah, it very much, I mean, you get the sense right off the bat that this is, okay, this is a uh, adaptation of a theatrical work. Um, yeah. In that it, it's, what is it, it opens with the chapel sequence and things and then it's, we you don't know who our protagonist is necessarily um, and it's... So we're just hearing all about... It's like kind of letting us soak in this world a little bit. And we hear so much... does that theatrical thing where you hear so much about your character from the perspective of other people before they're finally introduced. Yeah, yeah. And so when, you know, Crocker Harris finally does come into his classroom, you're like, I know exactly who this character is. And then the the film spends the rest of the time being like, yeah, but is he though? Mm. And it's really lovely. It's a nice little exploration. Mm. I agree. I love that we get that, yeah, introduction and it's not a very good one. No. But then the film flips it over and makes us realise that it's maybe not true, but but it is true. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, like, by his own admission as well, he's like, I, you know, I've kind of gone that way myself. And, like, yeah, it's it's a really lovely little sweet film. And I think heartbreaking is the ultimate way. Yeah, I keep, I, I keep using the word sweet, but I think that's because... It's keep, bittersweet. It's bittersweet. It, yeah. It's got that wonderful little redemption arc at the end kind of thing. Then, like, you know, those moments of triumph. Like, when we were watching it, I love that you kept being like, so when, when are we going to have the standing on the desk carpe diem moments? <laughs> like, I was waiting for it, and we'll get to the ending later, but it was not the ending I was expecting. Yeah. But um, we do... You were expecting him to commit suicide. No, no. <laughs> I, I think I was expecting the speech to be more uplifting. Yeah. But, yeah, we'll get to that. Yeah. Um... But yeah, we spend some time in the chapel and then we we move to Crocker's classroom with his kids and we already know what's going to happen because we've been told about this character but then we get to observe it firsthand um, as Gilbert, the new teacher, or his successor comes in and observes the class as well and um, there's this really sad moment where um, Crocker, the teacher, makes... Oh, he's a Latin teacher, he's teaching Latin and he makes a joke in Latin and he's so thrilled that Tapo Taplo um, understands him mm. and gives him a little chuckle. And then he's like, come over, you know, and, and tell the class what did it mean. What did you like about my little epitaph? 
fucking amazing. He's like, I didn't know anything. I'm just being <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> so heartbreaking. Um, but then, like, I, it's, that's, like, later followed up by he's obviously, like, you know, they're rewriting their little, um, their creative pieces or whatever they had to do. And he goes around and, like, he helps Taplow a little bit. Mm. And he's just like, surely your politeness, <laughs> like, you know, warrants a thank you when you've been helped. Like, yeah. it's just like, like you realise, yeah, he's trying to be cheeky, but it's coming off in such a harsh, gruff, aggre- not aggressive, but, like fuck you kind of way. Yeah. And I think um, it's interesting because I, like, was thinking that uh, Crocker would be, uh, from what the kids were saying, the croc, you know, the worst teacher. I thought, like, you, we'd some cane. You're expecting cane. the trunch ball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it was interesting that how, like, comically so, like, I don't think it was meant to come across that mm. way, but I was having a good chuckle the way he speaks in class. <laughs> yeah. We later get um, Taplow Im- imitating him perfectly. Yeah. It's very funny. It's, it's a, I think when we were watching it, I said, like, he, like, meek isn't the right word to describe him as a character in those early scenes. He, he's just... Dusty it, and wheezy. And kind of just tired. Tired. Like, he, he's not... He's not... He doesn't lack power. He definitely has power. And if you were to describe him as meek, then it would be like he has no power. Exactly. The kids have... are overthrowing him. Yeah, yeah. But he, he definitely has power, but he's just... It was interesting because you were expecting him to be like, Aah! Yeah. But then he's just very quiet and you will stay back mm. as long as I wish. But, it, but that's the thing. Like that, it, it gave me such severe flashbacks because I, <laughs> um, I unfortunately went to a school very similar to <laughs> this one. Um, and it's, it's those teachers that, you know, you had the teachers that were all like, you know, bluff and bluster that would like yell and rah, 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 and you're just mm. like... You're just insecure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Whereas, like, you'd have the ones like this where it's just like, oh, he's just a cunt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's not, he's not like a great, like, it's just, it's just, mm, you're, you're, yeah, calculating yeah. and, yeah. Yeah. And so it's like, you understand why that demeanor, I mean, obviously now being an adult and out of school, I'm just like, oh, no, they weren't, it was, yeah, yeah. Mm. But it's, um... It's interesting to be like introduced from the perspective of the kids for that whole first section, mm. where you're like, "What? Oh God, what is this guy going to be?" And then it's that such that exacting type of educator that you just like, "Oh yeah, I know what's up." <laughs> yeah, and it's for me um, definitely reflecting back on my own uh, time as um, a student, but more so as being a teacher myself. Uh, at the end of this scene in the classroom, Crocker um, dismisses the class and then says, they all start to run out without saying anything in, to him and he says, you know, this is my last class, you know, goodbye everyone and I wish you all well for the future. And they're all like, see ya. <laughs> I think I... No, no, it's like a, it's like the unison, like, thank you, sir. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, no one says goodbye or thank you to him for all his hard work. And I, I leant over to you at that exact moment because I'm a prep teacher, which is five and six-year-olds. On the last day of, ter- of the year, every year, they all run out and don't, like, say a goodbye or thank you or anything because they don't really understand what's going on. It's their first year of school. At least that's what I like to think it is. Mm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, I know what that feels like. like come back here and love me. <laughs> <laughs> I want some appreciation, <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> oh, uh, get your little asses back yeah. here and love me. 
love me. <laughs> that's what's kind of great about the film. And I, I mean, obviously, this all stems from Terrence Radigan's play. But it's at this point in the film, you're like, what, who are we following here? Like, yeah, are, are, yeah, protagonist. yeah. Is it is it the kids? Is it Gilbert, the new replacement teacher? Yeah. Is it like who who are, who are we following? Whose I, story is this? I remember very much thinking that because I didn't read anything on it, so I was exposed to it purely with nothing. Yeah, nothing. I I knew it had something to do with a, a school teacher. That was it. So. And I think I remember you saying when we were watching it that I think we're going to find out more about this teacher because it starts with him, like, we're going to say goodbye to this teacher, but we're also going to say goodbye to this other teacher. Who's going off to play cricket against Australia. Yeah. <laughs> and everyone's just like, yeah, that guy fucking rules. And the kids are like, and the crocs, not good. Well, that's not what they say, but, but anyway. <laughs> yeah, but it's also that I love that little juxtaposition at the beginning. It's like, okay, so one teacher who's an incredibly popular teacher who they've also cast like a chiseled jawline handsome man I as really look like he'd been hit in the face with one too many cricket balls myself yeah anyway. that's, how, that's how you chisel a jawline <laughs> with cricket balls um, but yeah it's, it's you know that popular teacher who is a sporty guy who's actually going off to represent the country against like Australia and the cricket versus the yeah, so open your books to page 873. <laughs> you know, it's... Yeah, and the other juxtaposition of the um, uh, Hunter, Mr. Hunter, or yeah. uh, his class are laughing and making all the noise. And, and the explosion-y stuff. Explosion-y yeah. stuff, and just to reinforce how lousy Crocker is. And I've got to say, I know many... Well, not many. I've I've met... Crockers in my teaching career mm. and I I was trying to explain this to the teachers at school this film like just very quickly and I'm like this is a teacher's worst nightmare film yeah because it's, <laughs> it's just like, like there but for the grace of God go I yeah <laughs> it's not like say is it Dangerous Minds uh, the Michelle Pfeiffer yeah. I'm a I'm a teach inner city youths about history yeah like that's 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 probably every teacher's worst nightmare that class but like this is worse because it's your last day of teaching ever and people don't give a shit. Later in the film, um, Frost Bishop, the headmaster, whatever his name was, mm-hmm. is like, we're going to put your uh, goodbye speech second to the sports teacher because we want a climax. Yeah, we, we know yours is just going to be like, thank Dusty you. And, yeah. yeah, and he's like, you know, he's, I love the way he kind of phrases it where he's just like, you know, that's... A, it's going to be a fucking bummer. Yeah. And B, it's like, you don't want to have to follow this guy. Yeah. Like, <laughs> and he's so just like, oh, fuck you, all yeah. right. Yeah. And then he's also not going to get his pension. And it's just after, you know, decades of working your ass off as an educator, as a teacher, you are washed up and mm. gone. And I'm like, this is, this is a teacher's worst nightmare, this film. Worse than Dangerous Minds. Yeah, just the, just the idea of someone like yeah, just becoming that kind of disillusioned, yeah. I guess. But it, it's not just like that's what I found so kind of in, why it's so it's such an engaging movie is because it it, it unravel it unwraps like like a little I was gonna you know like an onion. <laughs> <laughs> it's got layers like an ogre. No. Well, it's... why am I quoting Shrek? <laughs> um, but it's, we're better than that, Chris. I know. <laughs> But it's it's that thing where like you're like okay so is is it just because you know he he's been an educator for so long that he's kind of lost the the passion for it and he's just kind of set in his ways of this doldrum and you know he's also you know in failing health and so that's obviously a depression issue and all of these things but then 
You add in the extra wrinkle of the wife. <laughs> Holy shit. Millicent. Holy shit. Mrs. Crocker, she is the Cruella de Vil of this film. She is one of the biggest villains I have seen in a Ooh. film, and I've been watching horror movies all month. Yeah. She is awful. Yeah. And it's that's the and like the second we introduced to her. Because it, it, you have the scene where obviously it's um uh, Miles, is it? The the science teacher? Uh, I've got... Or Hunter. Hunter. Hunter Frank sorry. Hunter. Yeah. Yes, uh, Frank Hunter. Uh, Miles, I was thinking Millie. Um, yeah. yeah, Hunter comes around and it's so immediately clear, oh, they're having an affair. Yeah. A- and you're like, wow, that well, that sucks for that dude. She's even a bitch to him. Yeah, she's just a horrible person. But then when he comes home, just the you're like, oh... It's 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 everything in this man's life is working against him mm. and it's just a continual nut punch like he just if it, it, it's such an effective manner where it's made like the the first 10 15 minutes is setting up that this guy sucks mm. everyone hates him he's mean he's a grump like fuck this guy yeah. and then you're like yeah what's with this guy oh no yeah I feel so bad for him. I know exactly what the problem is. So these uh, teachers, headmasters, they live their life on campus mm. with their wives. They never leave school. Oh, I couldn't think of anything worse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> because you'd have to adhere to certain rules and things all the time. You couldn't just go home and take your pants off. You're you know? always on the job. You're, You're always, always representing. Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that in itself, like remove the wife, mm. whatever, like that in itself would just drive anyone nuts. Yeah. You understand why so many of them are like alcoholics. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it, it's, it's wild. But, um, she, she, we'd find out later that she told, um, Crocker from the beginning, I believe he either found out, just found out or she, was outright let let him know. What? I don't, or yeah. she did it in such a conniving way that she she told him without telling him. That's what I think it is. It, it's that thing of I think she just made absolutely no effort to hide the fact That's, yeah. that she doesn't love him and is clearly having an affair with you know one Hunter. of his colleagues. And you know it's it, the thing that I also found interesting, like how it plays all that stuff plays out as well. Is Hunter doesn't. St- you could so easily have that character show like a disrespect towards Crocker, mm. uh, but instead he he shows respect and like a reverence for the man. But it's just like uh, he's young and kind of caught up in the whirlwind of an affair, I guess. And I think this is where it's coming down to. This is based off a play, mm. and this is um, something that is well written. And none of the ca- all of these characters could have been way more two dimensional yeah. and, and obvious. Yeah. And not one of them is what you expect. And I think that's what makes it so so good is because you really don't know where this is going. Yeah. You think you know where this is going, mm. but it doesn't. It, it It's constantly turning and moving. and Like I said, it's, it's unraveling and it's just letting itself unfold and present to you. And... and I think the Hunter character was especially interesting for exactly what you said because we could have seen him in a certain light, but his character arc is great. He completely shifts and changes. And I think uh, relates to Crocker because he's also a teacher. He doesn't mm. want to have that when he, you know. He understands, like, uh, you know, by by the end of the film, he, he has that understanding of, oh, this is what this life can do yeah. to someone. This is what can happen. And, 
you know, the, the fact, and it's after, you know, Crocker has those wonderful little monologues where he opens up to him and sort of explains, like, I didn't always used to be like this. I used to be like you. I used mm. to give a shit. And with Gilbert as well, Gilbert, what's the nickname he gives? Sorry, yeah, that's the, it's, sorry, I got it mixed up. He, he, he gives the speech to Hunter at the dinner table and then, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. the Gilbert one is about the... But what does Gilbert... Uh, he doesn't call him this, but he... Some... Oh, yeah, it's, it's the headmaster referred to him, like, when he was showing Gilbert around. He calls him the Himmler of the fifth form. And, like, Gilbert thinks that's so fine to say to him. Like, it's not going to affect him. He thinks he it would really be like, is... oh, you find the joke in this and that, you know, you're, you're strict and you... It's, it's more like... The, you would see that it's a, a term of, like, regimentation. Yeah, yeah, As yeah. opposed to, you're a fucking Nazi. And this yeah. is, this is like, not long after the war. <laughs> so. Not long after the war. But he is so shocked to hear that because he doesn't recognise that in himself. Mm. He, he's a, it's interesting because Crocker's aware enough, but not, not really. And he is really shocked and surprised at times. And then you're kind of shocked and surprised. Yeah. Of course you are. Like, how do you not know this about yourself? But but it's like, it so expertly sets up those little things, like the the joke in class that um, Taplow reacts to in things and why he's so chuffed about that. And like that, and it's like, why is he doing these smug little smirky jokes? And why does he react in such a way when a kid laughs at it? And then you later find out, this is what he used to do all the time. And he still does it, but no one, yep. he's like, one day the kids stop laughing. Yeah. And then today, on his last day, a kid... He's like, it's fucking heartbreaking and amazing. My heart. My heart the whole way through this film, my heart. Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, I know. I actually really love that scene where he's telling Gilbert about he used to be this way. Like, exactly what you said. He would heighten his mannerisms and things. And then you... just sort of stopped. And I think... Probably the breakdown of his marriage, like I said, living on campus. No, thank you. Um, lots of different things have s- s- very slowly, so slowly that he hasn't even really noticed it. Yeah. Um, have all sort of fallen apart for him and he's just, yeah, it, it, tired and, and old. And then, of course, you obviously add in the, the failing health stuff. And what I found so interesting about that is it's... I think based on, like, probably the films I've been watching recently, but it's also just a modern sensibility of film... Yeah, it's like oh, there's something wrong with him, and he's like having to take his medicine and stuff. And then there's the allusion to Julius Caesar and things, where it's like the wife's yes. slowly poisoned, and you're just like, oh shit, is this gonna like turn out like yeah, yeah. the wife is slowly killing him to like get money and then like run off with her? And you're like, no. I love that. I love <laughs> yeah. that. You're right. That's what I mean. Like, there's things that you think are gonna happen. You're we're kind of wanting to impose this like bigger, classy, and more extravagant narrative onto this story, but the one that ends up unfolding is so simple. Mm. It's fucking... You're just like, no, that's perfect. That's better. That's, that's so much better, and that's it's so, so perfect. You don't need any of this, you know, ins- insanity topped onto this story. It is such a simple, small human tale. And I think that's what I was referring to with the speech. Um, when the headmaster said, um, we'll put your um, first, and the sports teacher's second i'm like oh i hope he has like i hope he has like a triumphant speech oh he's gonna have a triumphant speech it's gonna mm. be great he's gonna get his own back it's gonna be this great speech and then it is and he does get the reaction but it's not the speech you were thinking of it's not like you know it's not uplifting it's no super honest and vulnerable yeah that well yeah. that's the thing like yeah you're either expecting like uh you just to pluck one out of the air like you know charlie chaplin at the end of the great dictator like this rousing like oh my god speech but instead it's yeah it's vulnerable it's him showing 
everyone that he is a person and he's a human <laughs> being. And they respond to it superbly. Yeah. It's like, it, it's like <laughs> the thing of like, he, I see you. Mm. <laughs> he's finally seen yeah. and it's his last day. It's beautiful. It is. Oh, I just thought that ending was fabulous. We haven't really talked about Taplo, though. Tap, I can't say his name. Taplo. I keep on saying Talpo. Anyway, Taplo. Um, I loved the kids in this film. Like, I think I was saying to you, you can tell when this is made and when it's written and all that sort of thing and how um, white, for a better word, these kids are. <laughs> yes. I don't know what I'm trying to get at, but, yeah. like... Kids nowadays have influences from all over the world and different cultures and all that, but these kids are, they are in their little bubble. Their, their bubble, and it is rich, upper-class, white English. Yes, like, very yes. white, upper-class English. And I just, I, that could be a bad thing, but I quite like the way they talk. It's so formal, but they're also really familiar with their um, elders, like their mm-hmm. teachers and stuff. They talk to them so casually, but well, formally at the same time. Well, I think that's, yeah, it, it's like that byproduct of, like you were saying, it's like every all of them, the students and the teachers, they live on that campus. So yeah. it's just like that is their their town, their world yeah, so is... They would have that more casual because they see each other all the time exactly. and all that sort of thing. Um, but I just love... Taplo is a great little character because... You're not sure, and we haven't even spoken about the gift that he gives, but he's the only one that feels sorry for Crocker. And as the film goes on, he's still, you know, not a big fan of his, but he slowly starts to understand him a little bit more as the film goes on. He, We begin sort of with him saying, I feel sorry, but then the next scene we see him making fun of Crocker and imitating him. But it's not like, it's not out of malice or anything. It's more just... Like, I, I'm trying... it. I think the impression scene, it's almost like he's trying to understand what the fuck this dude's deal is. And then um, the gift. So he gives Crocker a, a book. And the book's called The Browning Version. No, no, well, it, it's... It's just The Browning? It, well, no, it is... Basically, Crocker Harris reveals to Tadlo, Taplo that he... I want to say Tadpole now. <laughs> <laughs> What's his name? Um, that uh, in his early days as a teacher and a scholar, he was doing an adaptation of the Agamemnon, yes. uh, classic text, and as a gift at the end, uh, Taplow's like genuinely interested in it. And then at the end, he gives him a version of uh, it's the Robert Browning translation of the ad- of the Agamemnon. Gotcha. Which is where cuz the whole film we were like why the fuck is this called the Browning version <laughs> but he's given him the Browning version of the Agamemnon. Oh, I totally missed that. Yes. That is so funny. Yeah. Yeah, cuz he says it's not the best version or translation but it's adequate. But it, and it but it's interesting to see and he, I think because he's been engaged with the idea that, um, you know, Crocker Harris is doing his own translation. He's like, well, this would be interesting for you. I'm sure you've read it before, but, like, yeah, you you know, different translations have different, you know, impacts Mm. and things. Um, But he does put in a Greek phrase as an inscription inside the cover, which is, God from afar looks graciously upon a gentle master. Oh, my heart! And he reads that and just breaks down it is the greatest <laughs> it's, it's so, so beautiful yeah it's it's what every teacher wants yeah. i mean i get little gifts off from little um drawings off my preps all the time and i i 
when I watch this scene, I'm like, I should value these more. I'm like, that's great. Thank you. And when they're not looking, bin. Although, like, because, like, yeah, we, we caught up with a bunch of the teachers and stuff the other night, and we had that conversation yeah. because of this film where it was like, like and everyone's just like, these more. Yeah, it's like, if it's something, you know, from an older kid that, like, something like that from yeah. Taplo, where, where it's like, you know, a. a an actual thought out inscription or something. You're like, okay, I will keep that. But it's like, made you a picture for your fridge. You're like, no. <laughs> I'll do the due diligence of putting this up for a week and yeah. then, yeah. <laughs> yeah, when you're not looking. They find it in the bin too. you got to wait for them to go home. Yeah. Um, but that got me in the feels. Right it's, in the feels. Because it's following right after the um, the revelation of the Himmler stuff. Yeah. Where it's it's basically him having the break, the realisation of, well, that's what my... I've been an educator for, what, 30 years or something, and... That's my legacy. My legacy is that. If, if I'm remembered for anything, it's going to be that. I have not made an impact or I've not changed or done anything. Nobody even understands Latin. Their Latin is terrible. It's a dead language. It's not going to... You know, it's... Yeah, it's But gone. even their work is shit out. He's like, these are all terrible. Yeah. There's one kid over here who kind of did a good job, but the rest of you suck. Yeah. <laughs> but it's... And, and so, like, to have, like, hot off of that... Say, off, off the heels of that scene, you get... This it's it's the emotional impact of it is so profound, and then in comes fucking Millie. I know. <laughs> She's just like a, I wanted to punch her right in the tits. She seems like one of those people that will walk around like a fair with a pin popping kids balloons. <laughs> just a vindictive mean person. You're having fun, aren't you? Pop. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> She's like one of cinema's worst villains. Yeah, she is. Yeah, you, you like yeah, calling her Cruella Deville. Like it is so accurate. Mm-hmm. Um, that I was like really affected by that. Yeah. I was like, oh, I want to kill this woman. And and I think having Hunter as part of that scene, we get that kind of relief when he just gives her what for. Because Crocker never would. Yeah, he he's so just. He, resigned to his fate almost, but then having Hunter be, like, essentially the audience surrogate in that scene and just be like, fuck you! Yeah! Like, that was the meanest thing I've ever Ever seen. seen. Uh, You have given me a glimpse at your true self today. And you know what? This D is gone packing. You're never getting it anymore, lady. Bye! Yeah, and she's shocked. Yeah. And it's like, are you serious? But there's actually, I don't know if it's whereabouts in the film it lands, but uh, Crocker has this it might be to Hunter, actually, maybe at that dinner party where it's the mm. two of them in the room. And he says that Millicent didn't get what she needed. And it's a different time. Like, divorce is so much more yeah. able. Like, we can do that now a bit more. But she became embittered because she wasn't getting what she needed. He became what he became because he wasn't getting what he needed. So yeah. it was just, it's toxic relationship left to rot for years. Yeah, and I believe that's also a scene where there's a nice little allusion to like, the t- there are two types of love and things. Yeah. Yeah. Which I, I've got a little something that I can get into a little bit later about some subtexty stuff with that whole sequence. And like. I think that is really important because it would have been so cheap. Yeah. I've just been like, why is she like this? You yeah. Know, why are you such a bitch? But it, it, in a very small, light way, it gives her a little bit of being a bit more human. Like, yeah, it's that thing of you. I mean, you don't forgive the behavior, but no. you understand like yeah. this clearly isn't the life she envisioned for herself, and because of that. She is lashing out. Yeah. I mean, it's not you know, like I said, you don't forgive that sort of actions, no. but it's 
you can understand it, yeah. I guess. And um, I think with a film that's clearly this is its whole point is that you you see characters and then you then you really see them. Yeah. I think it's important that we have that for her because, yeah, that's what makes this film brilliant. The writing brilliant. Yeah, and it, it's how it like unfolds and how it gets towards its ending. It's not. Like you said, there is no that rebel rousing kind of, you know, standing on the desks and stuff. It is such a small little reserved moment. And, yeah. you know, this uh, it could end with that big finale of his speech and everyone cheering and him kind of smiling and being like, yeah, nailed it. Yeah, <laughs> but, but it would have been dishonest because he didn't nail it. He didn't... He is leaving a failure. Yeah. His, acknowledge, his acknowledgement of that is what is so good. And it's it sticks to the character. Like, at no point does he get really riled up at all. Like, no. he kind of says consistently his understanding of himself changes, but he sort of stays consistently. Yeah. The way he speaks and acts and all that sort of thing. And, and that's why I love the final scene being, like, after that assembly... Um, uh, interacting with Taplow again, where it's basically like you know, good luck and everything. Like he, no, he fi- Taplow fished out his translation that his wife, as a bitch, was like, "I'm going to incinerate this." Just, just like, a, what? God damn it! <laughs> and he's just like, I, "I read it. It was really great. Like you should keep, you know, best of luck and everything." And then Taplow does the thing of like, so, so, so did I pass? Like again, like he's trying to. And Crocker sticks to his guns, and like you know, he's like, "That's for you know your parents to find out with your report." And then there's like a beat, and, and oh, like Cat Blues is like, "Thank you, sir." Like you know, all the best. And then there's the beat, and he's just like, "But do not blow yourself up in the science class next." It's like it's it's basically the arc that he's had. It's it's allowing him one moment of humanity, yeah. and like to be the type of teacher he, he always wanted to be. And Taplow just like. So happy and smiles, but then, and as he runs away smiling, Crocker smiles, and it's just like, oh, I, yeah, I'm not broken. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's such a simple little quiet ending, and it's so lovely. But I really, we know as an audience that Taplow is genuine. Yeah. Because we've had those previous scenes of him telling characters without Crocker being present that he feels sorry for him. Yeah. So we know that Taplow's genuine, but I wonder if Crocker ever knew that Taplow was genuine. I think he, I think he does by the end, like that whole. Do you think because even at the end, Taplow says, "What about my promotion?" And he, in his mind, could be thinking, "He's just doing all of this nice stuff, and he's just like fluffing me up so that I can give him the promotion." I feel like maybe Taplow never finds out, but we as an audience do. But maybe he doesn't. It's never clear for mm. him. And I think that's really quite sad. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, that's what I mean by like having that thing at the ending where he like you know if he, if he, that's why I think he tells him is because yeah. he's like no this he's a good kid. Yeah. Like he, he gives a shit. Yeah. He like you know he could have you know. Yeah, I don't know. That's what I mean. Like the ending, it's not clear, but I like that. Yeah. It's like does he understand? Does he not understand? But it doesn't matter because he's changed. Hmm. Um. So we've. Like, really stuck to, like, plot and the scripting and the, like, you know, how, you know, Terence Radigan's words have kind of impacted all of this. Let's talk about Anthony Asquith for a, for a second and the way that he's kind of taken the, like, this classic piece of British stage work and adapted it into a film. Um, it, it's great, I think. It, it's very simplistic in its beginnings. Like, a lot of the classroom scenes and, like, the beginning at the chapel, you're just like, yeah, it's, it's shot like a pretty standard 1950s British 
studio film. Mm. But then later when we get into the scenes like with Millie and Crocker Harris and stuff at the house, it shifts to like noir lighting. Um, yes. I'm sorry. Just as you were talking, I just remembered what something you called back acting. Oh, back acting. <laughs> yeah, back acting. There's a lot of acting in this. Backting. Yeah. Oh, can you explain what backing is to us? Okay, so ba- it, it's going to be hard to explain like uh, without a visual representation, but it's backing is uh, <laughs> when you have two people in a scene and then someone's like, what do you mean by that? And then they do a dramatic turn and they face their back. like they're, the other actor. Yeah, they're facing the camera and the audience, but their back is to the person they're talking to and they're like, once, but that was a long time ago. Yeah, like, you yeah, know, yeah, it's backing. Backing. <laughs> they're have... acting to each other's backs and it's very much a theatrical, yeah. no, and a theatrical kind of stagey uh, thing. The best was Hunter and Millicent backing each other at once. Yeah, they're, they're, backs. there's a scene where they're both backing at each other. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But yes, back to the um, the noir. Do you know what? I found myself not concentrating on any filminess. You were just all. dialed like, into yeah. the performances and, and it the was story. Quite probably subtle and, and minimal as well. Um, but it, you could definitely tell that, um, similar to when we were watching. Um, what was the Rex Harrison film we watched recently? Uh, Unfaithfully Yours. Unfaithfully Yours, these long scenes with dialogue, with very, with no cuts. Mm. And it's that movement from, yeah, stage to cinema. It mm-hmm. hasn't, cinema hasn't really found its feet. Or it's Not necessarily that... like it, it's, it's figuring out how to adapt something like this yeah. that is from one medium to another, like one performative medium to another performative yeah. medium. And yeah. you can tell that's what's, it's in that process, yeah. if that makes sense. So it's, I found myself just concentrating on the dialogue and character development. Yeah, but Asquith, like I said, he, he does... Uh, it's, it's, I want to say a serviceable job, but that, seems, that sounds really kind of diminishing. Yeah. It, like I said, there's, there's great little flourishing moments. He chooses when to, like, you know, push... Like, you know, go in for those close-up moments. Go in for those, like... When to bring certain people into the frame at the right time. And using a very kind of sparse um, atmospheric lighting to really mm. affect a mood in certain scenes like it, it's really well done and like little subtle things that I think is informed from it being a play but it's there's no music oh. there's no music in the film apart from diegetic stuff that's happening like when they're in the chapel and stuff That's and organ music and things that's, that's it there's wow. no music and so that's I think why as well we latched on so hard to the narrative and the performances because it's like we're watching a play that's very true. Yeah. I didn't even pick up on any yeah. of that. We, we have that. We've talked about the characters, but um, not the the um, performances. Crocker, mm-hmm. I don't know the actors. Michael Redgrave. Is fabulous. He's amazing. In, to the point where his subtle little eye twitches or an eyebrow raise tell you so much about what this character's feeling. Mm. And he doesn't overplay. It's so subtle. But then... To like the opposite is when he's crying. Oh my god, when he cries, it's just like, oh, oh no, oh no, <laughs> so much, yeah. so much crying. There's so much emotion bottled inside that, it... that he's letting kind of little squeaks and things yeah. out. That yeah. it's it's and amazing. Then, yeah. yeah, he just pops. So um, he was 43 when he made this. Jesus, and apparently so that's much older. Yeah, well, apparently that's supposed to be the age of the Croc Harris character, like in the oh. play. And so, like, I think it's... Because his wife looks so much younger than him. Yeah, which is, like, I wonder if that's, like, the makeup effect thing is, like, A, it's to show, like, you know, 
There's, there's, you know, years and then there's teacher years. Like, sorry, no offense. Oh, I know. <laughs> um, as well as, like, you know, the health issues and stuff. So that's why he's looking so much older and things. But, yeah. But he, he is just absolutely fantastic in this film. And so is the kid. And so is um, Millicent. She's fabulous. Yeah. Uh, Gene Kent as Millicent. Yeah. And uh, Nigel Patrick as... Um, uh, Hunter, but yeah, it, it, Taplo, the kid who plays Taplo, like so easily could have been a I want to punch this kid. <laughs> like, oh my god, kid actors sometimes, right? Especially around this time, yeah. like you said, it, it's that that style and that tone of talking, which is like yes, sir, or you're like you know, <laughs> very prim and proper, like. It's that whole, like, just, like, ugh. But it's... He was great. Yeah, he was. And I think it's that thing of... Every time he was on the... I'm like, yes, keep talking. I like the way you speak. Yeah, and you're engaging... You're making us engage with you so well. Um, And, and it's if, that... if he'd been miscast, this film... Would have lost it, so much. Exactly. And I think that's, you know, the filmmaker's understanding... This, we need to nail the, the kid casting. And I recognised an actor which doesn't happen very often for me. The headmaster is from My Fair Lady. Oh, nice, nice. Uh, that is... What's his name? Uh, Wilfred. Something. Uh, Wilfred Hyde White. <laughs> so white. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, anyway. Mm. But, um, I don't know, did, did you have anything else on this one, or...? Uh, now I'm I'm ready to hear some trivia. Yeah, I was gonna say it's 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 a very short, sharp, and sweet little movie. Like you know, there's you know so much. In, I love when a film is not self indulgent in its time and it gets what it needs to get across. Yeah, sharp. And you know, we just dive into that discussion. And yeah, so yeah, if you want if you want some trivia, here we go. Uh, the film was nominated for two BAFTAs, uh, best British film and best film from any source. It won the Audience Award at the 1951 Berlin Film Festival, where Asquith was also uh, also won the Bronze Bear for Best Drama. Uh, Michael Redgrave won Best Actor at the Cannes Film Festival, uh, where the film also won Best Screenplay for Terence Radigan and was nominated for the Palme d'Or. Uh, it was also listed by the National Board of Review as one of the top foreign films of 1951. Uh, Anthony Asquith had wanted to make the Browning version immediately after seeing it in theater in theaters in 1949. Uh, he struggled to find backers as the general consensus was that material was considered too downbeat. <laughs> mm. Audiences don't want this. This is a fucking bummer. Yeah. Yeah. But, Different times, I suppose. Uh, th- this is interesting. Um, I mean, obviously, we talked quite a bit about how it's based off of a play. Um, Radigan's original one-act play ended with Crocker Harris telling the headmaster that he wished to speak last at the closing ceremony. Oh, so no speech? Nope. His apologetic speech to the student was written by Radigan especially for the film. I couldn't even imagine that. Yeah. That is just like, that is no, nah. Because you get like such a good feeling after that, it would be just total bummer. But I guess, it, like, putting it in at that point, he, he's basically... Well, this is what's interesting, because I, I read that, but then I've also read trivia, uh, like, read that it ends with um, him getting the book from Taplow. And not the wife. And not the... I it. don't think so. Mm. Like, I've got the Wikipedia breakdown up now, and it says the gift about a series of... A- yeah. Yeah, it looks like it does end with... On the lawn's last day, one of the students, Taplow, blah, 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 gives him a copy of the Browning 
translation. <laughs> the gift brings about a series of actions which makes Crocker Harris reflect on his past, contemplate his future, and evaluate how he is going to finish his tenure at the school. So I guess from that, it, it like would go it, to him saying, "I'm going to speak last." Yeah, it's this little gift and gesture has actually caused him to kind of come out of his shell. Well, I guess. maybe that's actually more uplifting then. Yeah, because we don't have the wife spoiling it. Yeah, we don't have the apology speech, which is still good. Mm. It's it, it, it's very it's interesting. It's interesting. I'm like I like the way it ended. I'm glad we had everything that we did. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we talked about how there is uh, no music except for the opening credits and closing credits. All right. This is this is an interesting one and kind of flows. I I kind of teased a little bit when we talked about that dinner sequence between Hunter and Croc Harris, where it's the talking about like uh, being not being able to reciprocate the type of love that someone is needing and things and the two types yeah. of love. All right. Director Anthony Asquith's father was Prime Minister H.H. H. Asquith, who, as Home Secretary, had signed a warrant to arrest Oscar Wilde. The fuck? It was Wilde's trial and subsequent imprisonment that sent chills over England's gay and creative community for the next 60 years. When playwright and screenwriter... Terence Rattigan met Asquith for the first time. He recalled being profoundly aware of who the director's father was. Uh, Rattigan had the misfortune of, uh, to come of age as a gay man in the 1930s, when homosexual relationship uh, being consenting uh, between consenting males in England was a prosecutable mm. offence, with jail sentences up to two years hard labour. Um... Even with a great deal of self-censorship, critics and audiences found hints of homosexuality in Radigan's first play. Uh, they found it shocking. Any homoerotic reference in the, in his sorry, any homoerotic reference in a play's subject matter was enough to halt its production by Lord Chamberlain of England. The last, uh, the best Radigan could do up until about the 1960s was to veil his own sensibilities and create dramas critiquing the heterosexual norms of its day. Uh, in Crocker Harris's after-dinner monologue to Hunter, the reference of two kinds of love is as close as the playwright ever came, comes to naming the love that dare not speak its name. Is Crocker gay? I don't know, but yeah, that's it's it's interesting, right? Oh, yeah. That is giving me like a whole different perspective on this film. Yeah, the, the idea that you know I can't give her the lo- type of love that she's. Yeah, I'm shocked that Radican went with that as quick. Yeah. Like, well, I, I mean, you know, you don't judge someone by their parents. parents like, yeah. But. But, but the fact, but the fact that uh, you know Asquith obviously clearly does not th- like you know think or care about that. <laughs> like you know the fact that he actively sought out Radigan and was like, I want to adapt this and things. Yeah. 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 But super interesting, right? Um. I, I don't know if it's necessarily that he's gay. But an overt telling of yeah him more being gay. Radigan's view. Of heterosexual, yeah, being by by presenting it in such a way, he's using it as an uh, like I said, like sort of able to critique what the norms of a heterosexual relationship are, yeah. and it's like they can be like that is way more toxic and evil, like not evil, like yeah, you know, yeah toxic. toxic and like destructive than a consenting homosexual, rela- like you know, it's yeah. yeah, fuck me, yeah, interesting, right? Um, I'm gonna say Crook is gay. It's never said or anything, but it would make a lot of sense as to why he... But also, she's a fucking bitch, so... Yeah, I mean, you know, if you want to add that kind of reading on top of it as well, it's it, it's, just, it's an extra layer into that onion mm. of horrible... Like, you know, the stuff that's kind of keeping him imprisoned. Yeah, yeah. I guess, and kind of breaking him down. Fuck. Yeah. 
Oh, that's I, crazy. I like that one a lot. Yeah, me too. Uh, that's actually trivia. Yeah. That's changed my view of the whole thing. Nice. It's like the first time ever. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's great. But that, this one, I'm like, whoa. Yeah, I know. Now I feel bad that I'm just going to go on to some actual kind of trivial trivia. <laughs> <laughs> I should have ended with that one. Yeah. Damn it. Um, the last little bit, I, I found this kind of interesting as well. Uh, in 1993, uh, director Mike Figgis, uh, who you might know as uh, he was the director of Leaving Las Vegas, mm-hmm. uh, was, dressed, was dressing for a dinner party at Ridley Scott's house. And happened to switch on the version of this version of the Terence Radigan play. He became so riveted that he arrived late to the party. He explained to Ridley the reason for his tidiness, and uh, to which he responded that he had coincidentally himself had recently optioned the rights to remake the film and was looking for a director. Figus went on to direct the 1994 version starring Albert Finney. Wow! That Ridley Scott produced. Do you know this? Is, it's not interesting, but uh, we were watching this. Prior to, we've just been let out of lockdown and I was going to meet teachers for um, a drink. And we had this on and we thought we might not get to finish it. I'm like, no, no, we're finishing this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the same sort of thing. Like, I yeah, was, it was like, oh, you've got a limited time and yeah, we watch the movie. Yeah, I've got to go to a and... party. And, yeah. And it's like, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, that's kind of nice. Yeah, they kind I of... I can connect with that. Yeah, it's good. Um, but um, before we move on, uh, do we do we want to hear what someone thinks it's about? Yes. All right, so that music means it is time once again for Claire's... What's that movie about? You got the, you got there eventually. I had a blank. It was a deer in a headlight stare about like, am I doing what now? All right. So the film this week is the Browning version <laughs> from nineteen <laughs> from nineteen fifty one. Can I see your picture of sure, the front sure. cover? Yeah. Because I feel like. Because, yeah, I giggle. Okay, yep. All right. That is the Criterion the cover. Okay. Um, oh, and I'll give you uh, where it's from. It is a UK film. Okay. From I could kind of tell with the term. The, well, I'm going to take it as name, Browning, versus the term. Because <laughs> it could be anything. What's, uh, the, what's the Browning? <laughs> it's a diarrhea-based horror movie. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um... So, I'm using front cover, context clues of back, blackboard behind him. Stop trying to teach me like one of your kids. <laughs> no. I'm going to go with a 1951. Okay, so I like I like stories that I make up being in boarding schools because all schools in UK stories are boarding schools. Mm-hmm. Just fact. So, it's set in a boarding school. And it follows the teacher man whose name is Mr. Browning or Sir Browning or Ma... What do other teachers get called? Headmaster Browning or something. And um, <laughs> he is... He's, he's mean but fair. And it goes through a series of... What's those short stories? Is it vignettes? Mm-hmm. Vignettes. That goes through a series of vignettes of him in his career, um, like 
dealing with different naughty students at different times but being fair compared to at the time 1950s like just like getting the cane and going for it (laughs) just going for it yeah yeah that's it and yeah no it's nice it's just a nice story it's a nice story and his career and his career yep all right headmaster browning you're not too far off. Yes. Kind of close, kind of close. Well, did they use the cane? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so she, she did pretty close. She was pretty close with this one again. Like <laughs> She said the caning. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. It, it was a little bit more aggressive, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but um, have you got a tagline? Um, yep. Um, the Browning version. Not what you think it's about. Ugh. <laughs> 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 uh. I'm just, like, wanting to now make, like, weird diarrhea puns now. We're, <laughs> like, the browning version. You'll need to dry your eyes, not your pants. <laughs> You've got a better one. Yeah, You've the one I one. came up with was Interidum Vitae Calcatre in Globulus. Which uh, is Latin for sometimes life's a kick in the balls. <laughs> I like that the Latin for balls is globulus. <laughs> How are your globulus going? Yeah. Oh, I got a pain go- in my globuli. <laughs> my globulus is itchy. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I guess, yeah, unless we've got anything else, this will kind of wrap us up for the Browning version. I'll uh, quickly say uh, it's uh, still, I think it's still available. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's still available uh, from Criterion as a one-disc DVD, and it comes with an audio commentary by film historian Bruce Edda, new video inter- interview with Mike Figgis, director of the 1994 remake, archival interview with Michael Redgrave from 1958, as well as the usual booklet and essays that Criterion usually do. Mm-hmm. All right, so with that... You want to hear about next week's uh, next episode's film? Yep. It's called Crazed Fruit. <laughs> it is a 1956 Japanese film. Sweet. Yeah. I like old Japanese films. I'll just read you the first little bit of the uh, synopsis to get you excited. Two brothers compete for the anim- amorous favors of a young woman. Amorous favors. Woo-hoo-hoo-hoo. I'm excited. During a seaside summer. Mm. All right. Uh, <laughs> so I've never seen this one. I'm, I'm interested. It's a Ko Nakahira film. So, uh, but as always, uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, you can send us an email at thecriterionquest at gmail dot com. Uh, Lee's doing great over on our Instagram at uh, is it the Criterion Quest? I think, think so. Yeah. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Criterion Quest. Otherwise. Let's talk about the Patreon for a second. Yes. What are we up to? Uh, well, you know, we're hoping, like, you know, that little tease that we put out, maybe if you enjoyed that, you want to come over and hear some more stuff. Uh, we've just done a commentary for Psycho. <sighs> I reckon that's my favorite one we've done yet. Yeah, I know. I really wanted to put that one out because it was so good and so much fun, but it's like, it was too recent. I didn't want to kind of burn our other people that are graciously supporting us being like, here it is for free. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think we're going to get ready to record over the next week our next one, which uh, we'll put out kind of on Halloween. We're going for some Halloween-y stuff, and we're going to do uh, Death Becomes Her. Yay! 
<laughs> the Robert Zemeckis movie. I'm excited because I haven't watched it since I was a kid, but gee, I watched it a lot as a kid. Yeah, yeah. It, it just like something fun and out of the box, like yeah. different for kind of Halloween-y season. Yeah. So, um, yeah, if you're, you're interested in any of that stuff, just head over to patreon.com uh, slash the Criterion Quest. And as always, I'll link to it in the episode description and all of that stuff. But, uh, Lee, great episode. Yes. Fun doing it in person again. Oh, so good. <laughs> uh, so thank you all for listening. Uh, for this week's episode, I'm Chris. I'm Lee. See you next time. <laughs>